Hey y'all, it's Janice here, aka J Nice on the mic, and this is Dirty Diversity, a podcast on all things diversity, equity, and inclusion. This podcast is called Dirty Diversity because in this day and age, diversity has become sort of a dirty or bad word that causes a lot of knee-jerk and negative reactions. The goal of this podcast is to dissect diversity, or lack thereof, inside and outside of companies, and also to discuss current events around equity and inclusion, as well as discussing solutions for creating a more cohesive world and workplace. My name is Janice, aka J Nice on the mic. <laughs> that was and still is my moniker on YouTube. Some of you may know I started a YouTube channel almost 10 years ago to discuss topics around race and black identity, and it seemed to really resonate with my audience. I'm also a TEDx speaker, a professor, a diversity and inclusion consultant, and a writer with a PhD in organizational psychology. Welcome to Dirty Diversity, and thank you so much for joining me. I'm so happy to have you here with me. Hey y'all, Jay Nice on the mic, back with episode 12 of the Dirty Diversity podcast. How are y'all doing? I am doing amazing, but I am ridiculously exhausted. I made a commitment to myself every Sunday to record for the Dirty Diversity podcast. Today is one of the first days I'm recording and I'm just like over the moon exhausted. I had such an exhausting weekend, but I'm feeling really grateful and thankful and blessed to be in the position that I am in. I had, I can't wait to share some amazing news with y'all. I had a really great and productive weekend and within the next few weeks, I will be sharing something with you. I, you know, I'm super excited about it. So um, that's part of the reason why I'm exhausted um, today. But tomorrow I'm going to, you know, tonight I think I might get about 10 hours of sleep. That's how exhausted I am. But tomorrow's Monday. When you're listening to this, it's Monday. And we are going to have an amazing week despite what is going on in our world. So maybe by episode 14 or 15, I will be able to share this news with you all. Before we get into the episode... I have a listener shout out. I am so thankful for those of you who take the time to listen. If this is your first time listening to the Dirty Diversity Podcast, I am so thankful to have you here. Please, if you all would pause this episode, it would mean the world to me if you took a second to listen to the podcast, rate it, and let me know what you think. I would love to hear your opinion. So PhD Frog 1963 says, I met Janice briefly at a conference a few years ago. We had some great conversations about diversity while there. I'm happy to have come across her podcast with so much useful information. Thank you so much. I love you, PhD Frog. I'm trying to think that must have been Syap. 
Um, let me know which conference it was. I would love to figure out which one you are referring to. But thank you so much for listening and taking the time to rate the podcast. So this week we are going to be, and excuse me if I sound super like discombobulated today, as I shared with y'all, I'm like super exhausted. I had a really jam-packed weekend despite everything going on in our world right now. I had a really busy weekend. I was up really, really early. I'm not a morning person. I think I've shared that with y'all before. But I am not a morning person by any means. And this whole weekend, I was up pretty early and had like eight-hour days. So tonight, I'm excited. I'm going to get lots of sleep. But let's get into this episode. So we are making our way through April. And before we know it, it is going to be May. The reason that I thought it would be a good idea to explore white allyship is because I am hosting a diversity dinner dialogue this Thursday. I'm so excited also because the ticket sold out in 24 hours. I had 100 spaces open and within actually 19 hours of posting it, all of you beautiful people had grabbed a ticket and I'm really grateful and thankful that you enjoy the diversity dinner dialogue enough to get the ticket. So the focus of this week's diversity dinner dialogue is on white allyship. So I thought that this would go hand in hand with uh, today's episode. So I'm doing this diversity dinner dialogue with my friends Jared Carroll and Brian Klukatsky, who are both diversity, equity, and inclusion consultants. They do different work around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we're going to have a discussion on the role of white allyship and why it is important for DEI efforts. And so before I finish the notes on this episode, I actually received an email from Layla. I believe her last name is Syed, Syed, and I'm really hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly, but an author named Layla, L-A-Y-L-A-S-A-A-D, she's just written a book called Me and me and white me and my white supremacy she had a handbook that she came out with or a workbook i'm sorry so she recently came out with a book um and it's i've heard it's amazing i haven't had a chance to read it yet but i had a chance to interview her for a um, recent article that I am working on. And I follow her on Instagram, and I saw that she's doing this thing where she's going live on Instagram on Sundays. So I watched the Instagram live, and I felt like it was good to watch it and discuss a little bit of it and wrap it into today's topic. So what is the role of white allies in DEI efforts? Well, Allyship in general is just important in any sort of DEI efforts, but it's important to also understand the role of white allyship. When listening to Layla's talk today or her Instagram live, she mentioned some things that are really interesting and and that I'm going to touch on today. So I first wanted to get into my personal thoughts, then I'm going to get into what Layla said in her Instagram live. So my thoughts on the role of white allies. I think white allies are critical for DEI efforts, primarily because 
If you look within organizational leadership in the majority of organizations within the United States in particular, they are run primarily by white males. So if these are the people that are in power within an organization, it is imperative to have these people in power positions as allies. Because if you don't have leadership on board with your diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, your efforts will not be as successful and as effective as if you do have the organizational leadership on board. So essentially, I think that white allies play such a critical and crucial role because they are overrepresented in corporate leadership within the United States and also abroad and around the world. So in Layla's live stream, she discussed white privilege and uh, the steps to first deconstructing your own white supremacy and white privilege. So what I gathered from her Instagram live that I watched today was that the first step to really understanding and deconstructing white privilege and white supremacy is understanding white privilege and white supremacy as it relates to you and your own life as a white person. So what role does white privilege play in my life? How have I benefited from white privilege? So understanding and acknowledging that is is the first step essentially is what I gathered from Layla's live stream. And that's a really critical step in white allyship. It sounds super simple when you say it, but it's a really hard subject for people to chew on. People don't understand white privilege, what it means. White privilege is essentially, or the best way that I can describe it, is the unearned opportunities that one receives simply because they have white skin. Layla, in her live stream, discussed the importance of understanding that we all have privilege. So this is something that I thought was really important. Everyone has privilege, whether you are, you are not, you don't have any sort of disabilities. If you don't have any disabilities, you have privilege. If you live in a certain income bracket, you have privilege. There are privileges that we, some are invisible, some are visible, in in American society in particular, I would say that we, if you are not overweight, you have weight privilege. So there's so many different ways that all of us have privilege. In certain countries within, for example, West Africa, in the culture where my parents are from, Cameroon, they actually, the men in that society actually really value and love women who are heavier. That's something that is praised in our society. But here in the United States, women, you know, there's a perception of how women should be, what is deemed as quote unquote beautiful in our society. And in our society here in the United States, a woman being overweight would not have that weight privilege. So, it's important to understand and acknowledge that we all have privilege. And this is what Layla was explaining in the live. But it's important to distinguish and recognize that when we're talking about white privilege, we're talking about a very specific type of privilege. We are talking about the privilege that people with white skin have. So I thought it was 
important to inject here my thoughts. And while understanding white privilege is important, it's also important to understand that people who are white adjacent must also acknowledge and understand their privilege. So what does white adjacent mean? Well, I did a quick Google search and to me, the best and most accurate definition, ironically, and I didn't do a thorough search, but the best and most accurate definition I could find in the very, very quick Google search that I did was ironically on Urban Dictionary. So Urban Dictionary defined white adjacent in by a definition that I thought was very accurate. And it's basically a person who is technically a minority, but has access to and utilizes and sometimes benefits from white privilege. So what does that even mean? Well, a person who is a white Hispanic is a person who is white adjacent or a mixed race person who can pass for white. Let me give you some examples. If any of you are familiar with the singer Halsey, she is a very right now popular pop singer I was actually surprised to learn that she is mixed race. She is half black, half white. But if you look at her at initial glance, she is white presenting. She looks to me white. And if I if no one told me she was black or had any sort of black in her, I would not believe it. Also, the rapper Logic, I was like trying to think of his name. If any of you are not familiar with him, I would encourage you to Google Logic. He's also a mixed race, half black, half white rapper, and he is white adjacent. So you would look at him, not initially think that he was black. He just looks white phenotypically. So people who who can pass for white also enjoy the privileges and the access that having white skin can give you. So I think that that is important to acknowledge that even if you're a minority by technical standards and by what box you check, you could also be benefiting from white privilege. Minorities can still uphold systems of white supremacy. And let me give you an example. When years ago, when Trayvon Martin was gunned down by George Zimmerman and that whole situation happened, I heard some people saying, well, George Zimmerman can't be racist because he is a minority too. And, you know, this could be a podcast episode on its own because I have my own thoughts about that. And again, that's another story for another day. But I find that that is actually incorrect because George Zimmerman, to me, is white adjacent. When I look at George Zimmerman, I could see how he looks phenotypically like he could be Hispanic, but then he also looks white. So I think that there is a fallacy behind the idea of, oh, because someone is classified as a minority, they cannot have white privilege. But again, that's a, you know, that's probably a, a podcast episode on its own. Um, So I think it's important to first understand what white privilege is. And that was, to me, an amazing definition of what white adjacent means. And I think that that definitely deserves its own episode. But the first step towards being a good white ally is acknowledging that you have privilege. And this is, again, my perception. I think if you 
if you want, if you're white and you want to be an ally or you hope to be an ally, the first thing you have to do is acknowledge that simply because your skin is white in the United States and abroad, anywhere you go, you have white privilege. That is the first thing that you need to know and understand. Then the next step is understanding, well, yes, I understand that I have white privilege. So what can I do to be a good white ally? Well, one thing you can do is amplification. Amplify the voices of underrepresented minorities and marginalized groups. Well, what does amplification mean? This means when a person of color, for example, is being talked over in a boardroom, repeating their idea and acknowledging that it was said. This could also mean sharing the accomplishments of your minority coworker. This could be mean reposting a story or a book that is written by someone from an underrepresented group. There are so many different ways to amplify and amplification as a white ally is really, really critical. Um, you also have to do your own self work. I think being a good ally means that you are doing the self work. And I don't think that self work is a finite point. I think it's infinite and you will always be undoing the systems of oppression that have been spoon fed to you, especially if you've grown up in the United States or in Western societies. I would encourage you, I would encourage everyone to take the Harvard Implicit Association test. I just think the results may surprise you and are very interesting. Um, but uh, the first step really in being a good white ally, again, is acknowledging your privilege. Unfortunately, the fact of the matter is that organizational leadership is homogenous. Therefore, white allies are important in diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. And without white allies, as I said in the beginning of this episode, it is going to be challenging to achieve uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion progress in the workplace. So everyone should be working in conjunction and in tandem with each other. I've learned that based on my experiences, there is an art to gaining white allies. And candid conversations about race don't always lead to progress. Just having a conversation about race doesn't um, foster, doesn't always foster white allyship. Someone may be racist. What I've learned is someone may be racist, but labeling them as a racist definitely doesn't change their behavior. What I have found in my experiences as an effective strategy to catalyzing the, the self-work that white people need to do is helping white allies to understand how they benefit from white privilege uh, versus focusing on the individual like character flaws in that person. So being a racist essentially means that you have a character flaw. You have a, I would classify it as a mental illness, that makes you hold an irrational and completely unfounded belief that because you have white skin, you are better than people who do not have white skin. So rather than focusing on the character flaw within that person, in order, what I found is in order to really change behaviors, it's important to help white 
allies and white people hoping to change to understand how they benefit from the systems. Systems focus versus individual focus, I have I have learned has led to more effective, I want to say not more effective, has led to more understanding. Cognitive dissonance occurs when someone, t- if you think you're a good person, quote unquote, and you are a kind person and a nice person, and someone says that's racist and you're racist, what that does, what that's going to do to me as a white person is I'm going to shut down. So rather than attacking me and my character, even if there's a high probability that I am in fact racist, it's more of an effective strategy that will lead to change behavior if you focus on how a person benefits from a system of oppression and uh, their white privilege. So again, focusing on the systems versus the people can really help white allies to understand their role and the role that they play. Um, Someone might be racist, but labeling them as a racist doesn't typically change behavior in my my, um, my experiences. So um, at this point, ignorance is no longer an excuse, but growing up in a white supremacist society, it's easy to enjoy the benefits of white privilege Um, Without ever having to stop and like pause and take a look at yourself and your beliefs and having to reevaluate them. So Robin D'Angelo, which is who is the writer, she's the writer who wrote the book White Fragility. I'm sure many of you are familiar with her. Um, And in her book, White Fragility, she discussed how difficult it is for some white people to understand white privilege because, again, of this cognitive dissonance that comes with seeing yourself as a racist. So if I have a belief that I'm a good person, being a good person and being a racist are not aligned. But what people need to understand is you can be a kind person, you can be caring, you can be a good person and still be racist. What I also want people to understand and what I think is important to understand is um, you could have a, a, a significant other who is a person of color. You could have a black child. You could have a black friend. That doesn't absolve you from being racist. And that doesn't mean that you can't also be racist. I've seen examples of people who have a significant other who is black, for example, but they still benefit from white privilege, uphold systems of white supremacy, and hold negative views about white uh, about uh, black people. So it's important to do the self-work. In order to be a good white ally, you have to do the self-work. And part of that is recognizing and acknowledging that you do have unearned privilege. You have to look into the small and large ways that in your sphere of influence and in your life, you can dismantle and destruct white privilege. That could be like we talked about just Googling. Google all your questions. I'm, you know, I'm the type of person that I'm open to uh, answering anything. I've had coworkers that ask me to touch my hair, that ask what my hairstyle's called, and while I'm not comfortable with people touching my hair, I'm totally open with sharing hairstyles and my black culture, and you know, I'm just really open like that. But a lot of people are not like. 
like that. And it should not be the expectation for the oppressed or marginalized to teach the oppressors about their culture. So I think that if you want to be an ally, just do your own learning. Google is our best friend and all of us have unlearning in one way or another to do. In another episode, I'll talk about the unlearning that I have had to do. Um, That'll be, I think, a really good episode, but also just reading stories from people of different backgrounds. If you have never had in your whole life a friend who is Asian, read uh, read a story from someone who is from a particular country that you've never, you don't have a lot of experience with. So read a story from someone who is Malaysian or from Japan or from Thailand. So um, reading is a really effective tool to broadening your understanding. And if you're not a, a book person, you could always do Audible. Um, and then just having conversations with people who are different from you. And the internet makes that super duper easy. Follow people who are unlike you on social media and on LinkedIn. LinkedIn to me is like the superior platform to learn. I learn so much from my connections on LinkedIn. So I would suggest just doing your own exploration, but it's there's no like A, B, C, D. There's so many different ways that you can do that exploration, but in order to be a good white ally, it does take that self-work and self-exploration. So I hope you found this episode interesting. I've been talking about LinkedIn So if you want to connect with me, I'm always open to new connections. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and on Instagram. I'm on those platforms the most. Um, Send me a DM if you want to chat about the show or this episode. Um, And I would love to hear about the different ways that you are are working to deconstruct white supremacy and white privilege in your own life. Lastly, thank you all for those of you who reached out regarding my free webinars. I think that I'm pausing those webinars. I've had many people reach out to me um, for the free diversity webinars that I was offering for the month of April. Well, I'm only currently, I'm I'm thinking that I'm only going to offer those for April because I do start teaching a diversity in the workplace course at the end of April, and that course goes until June. So I'm going to be a little bit busier. I'm currently teaching um, two undergraduate courses right now, but teaching that added graduate course will make me pretty busy. So I don't want to commit to those webinars because they do take time to prepare. I have to do the research and develop the the structure of the webinar. So it is pretty time consuming. So I think that I'm going to put those on hold. But if you are one of those people listening who was really interested in having a complimentary webinar for your coworkers, for your colleagues, for your um, employers, uh, for your organization, um, reach out to me via email. My email is in the show notes and let's talk and maybe we can work something out. Maybe I'll do like one complimentary webinar for a company per week so that I would only be doing like you know, once one one a week is not bad, but um, for the next couple of weeks, I'm doing like one a day, <laughs> so that is a little bit overwhelming. But um, thank you so much for listening. 
I appreciate y'all. I got so into this episode that the tiredness that I was feeling just kind of went away. But I look forward to connecting with you all in another episode and in the episode next Monday. And um, thank you so much for following along, listening to this episode. I love you all. And I will check you out in the next episode.